0: Uh, and as we get settled in, let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Today we're going to, uh, last week we were in Matthew 13. Today we will continue uh, in Matthew 13 where we're going to uh, look at uh, week two of our parables. We've been in a series we kicked off last week. That's uh, entitled Storyteller, the parables of Jesus, where each week we're uh, breaking down at least one. Uh, last week was a couplet, and this week uh, is another couplet of parables. Uh, and today we're going to be looking uh, at the parables of the hidden treasure and uh, the pearl of great value. Uh, and as, so as we turn there, as you turn to Matthew 13, uh, we kicked off this series last week. And as we kicked it off, I shared that, man, in life, we all love a good story. Like, we, uh, love to hear stories, we love to tell stories, uh, we, man, we read, we listen to podcasts, we watch movies, and all of them, uh, man, uh, shape us through stories. You see, through stories we learn, like we learn facts, we learn information. And, and some of you are like, man, those are the stories I like, I love, man, if I can just sit down and learn some information about something, uh, man, I am into that, you know. Uh, but also what we know about stories is that, man, when stories are told or we uh, step in to a story, man, it draws out emotions, does it not? uh joy laughter sorrow pain like man and and some of those emotions can be healthy emotions and other times they can be unhealthy emotions uh this friday haley and i sat down and uh to watch a movie together and it's a new movie that just came out on netflix called fatherhood uh kevin hart stars in it it was rated pg13 so we were like hey we can watch this uh and so we sat down and we start this movie and it is a story of a dad uh, who has lost his wife uh, right after she gave birth to their daughter and his story of raising her as a single dad and the story of fatherhood. Uh, and man, we laughed a whole lot. Like, uh, you know, there's just so many just funny parts of the movie. But after we got done, Haley and I were like, well, almost cried 30 times. But, uh, you know, like that's what it is, right? Like it was emotion, like emotions of this story just kind of began to just well up inside of us. You see, while stories present us with information and facts, while they draw out emotions, they also press us deeper into the souls of who we are as men and women made in the image of God. But but it goes further because it's not just that it presses us to realize that we are made in the image of God. What stories do is, man, they present us, whether we realize it or not, with our need for a greater story of redemption and rescue to take hold and reshape our lives. Like every single story is is producing, man, this need, the realization that we need to depend on uh, someone else for our redemption and rescue. Now, some would reject that notion, but uh, man, we all have this uh, inkling, we all have this desire, this longing uh, for things to change. And really, as we uh, venture in, as we press in today, we're going to see just that. You see, when we think about this need, this greater story of redemption and rescue, this is what we get in the gospel of Jesus. But this is also what we find. Jesus does this by speaking through parables. You see, these stories, they point us to the kingdom of God where the very Word, Jesus, put on flesh so that He might come and rescue a people by the giving of what? By the giving not of information and facts, not simply to draw up our emotions, but to give Himself. And so essentially, I gave us a working definition last week. A parable is a story that's told that's taken from everyday life with the goal of drawing us into its simple and yet at times very, uh, very very, much profound strangeness. Sometimes you read them and you're like, what does this mean? What is it even talking about? And what it's causing us to do is that we need to wrestle with the, its exact application for life in the kingdom of God. So last week we looked at the mustard seed where we saw that God's kingdom brings about extensive growth even though it might not come in the way we think, right? So Jesus came on the scene in a way no one thought. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in what? In a manger. He wasn't born in Jerusalem, he was born in Bethlehem. He uh, grew up in, in uh, obscurity, the son of a carpenter, right? Like even as he begins to proclaim his kingdom, he does not go straight to Jerusalem, he goes to Galilee, right? Like he, he spends his time on the margins. He doesn't hang out with the religious leaders, he hangs out with the sinners and tax collectors, when he finally enters Jerusalem, right, like in the end, he, he, his triumphal entry is not on a war horse, it's on a donkey. And then he, he brings about victory, not by the shedding of the other's blood, but by the giving of himself and the shedding of his own on the cross. And then we saw the story of the leaven, the parable of the leaven, which uh, the, the leaven of the gospel is hidden in the hearts of men and women, bringing life and transformation from the inside out. This leaven infuses and infiltrates the dough and what we realize is we are to do the same, right? Like as man, the leaven, the good news of the gospel infiltrates our lives, we are then to infiltrate and infuse the good news in daily life. It is to transform not only inwardly who we are but outwardly how we live. I shared last week that Jen Wilkins says that while the mustard seed parable shows us the extensive growth of the kingdom, the parable of the leaven is showing us the intensive growth of the kingdom. And today we're going to continue with this kingdom narrative by looking at two parables that are similar, but not the same as those last week. So let's read now Matthew 13:44 through 46. It says this, Okay, so again, these parables are similar to the two that we looked at last week, but what they do is they continue to help us build a better picture of what life in the kingdom is to be like. So last week we see that the kingdom is both extensive and intensive in its growth, but today we're going to be looking at the value of the kingdom. And what we're going to find is that value in the kingdom, or the value of the kingdom, is both immense and innumerable. What I mean by that is, it's immense. It is just ever growing. It is, man, far more valuable than we probably think. But also, it is innumerable in that it, it, the value. We should give everything for it. You know, the value of the gospel is that, man, for all of eternity, it's not that. And I love, man, when we when we think about like what eternity will be when Jesus comes and makes all things new, a lot of times we think, well, the gospel will just end. The good news will have been. No, the good news will actually continue to grow and expand and expand and expand. And for all eternity, we will ever be learning about the glory of this gospel. It is valuable. You can't put a number on it. I love what J.D. Greer, when talking about value, he said that in life, we value a lot of things. We put value and worth on a lot of things, but the value we place on something is shown by what you will give up for it. And so today, as we get started, I want you to take just a moment to think about something that you value immensely. And don't be too quick to just pick the real churchy answer, right? Like, I value Jesus. I value, you know, like, and just don't, like, those are good things. And that's where, I mean, that's where, our, you know, we want to hope. But I mean, something just, made generic, like that you value immensely. Because I think that whenever we have to think about this, I think that statements like these of what we value and really processing that, I believe that they should make us a bit uncomfortable when we really press into them. Because, you see, to value something, as Greer says, is what you will give up for it. The amount of time you'll give up. The amount of energy you'll exude. The amount of love that you'll show, right? Uh, the, amount, we're gonna, uh, the amount of money that you will spend on it. The amount of worship that you'll give to it. And so with that criteria before us, when you think about your life right now, what's something that you value immensely? And as you think about that, where does the kingdom of God stand in terms of the value it holds in your life? Because, man, I believe that you can immensely value a lot of things that have no real worth at all. We value a lot of things that have no worth at all. I mean, if you don't believe me like twice a year, for two weeks at a time, there's this thing called Round top, you go out there, they got some cool stuff, but you go out there, and man, people value like. Put a money number, like a, a a dollar sign, on things that I that that it's like this is worth this much. I'm like, no, it's not worth that. You may value it as such, but it's not worth that, right? You picked that out of a field last week, right? Like the, it, it it has no worth, and yet people will value it at, at insane levels. Guys, go in your garage, all the things, the trinkets, the toys that you've bought that you were like, oh, I value this. But you've never used it. It carries no worth to you. It's just rotting away. You ever tried to uh, throw away a craft that your kid made? Yeah, it's like, it's like you're killing them. I, I, our, one of our kids can make one mark on a piece of paper, put it to the side, make another mark, and then they'll go away. If we put those things in the trash can, we have to bury it under stuff, right? And then take the trash out. Because they'll sniff it out. They'll come in and they'll open that thing up and they're like, hey, what did you do? We're like, well, it's just you put one mark on it. No, that is a dragon. And you messed it up, right? Like they'll take it out and they're like "Dust it off," because they vow like they have such worth. I'm like, no, it's it's not worth anything. Right? Like, but we do that. We all do that. And while there are things that have little worth, there are other things in life. That we value really highly that are worth something. Well, what's something in your life that you've, maybe you've found, like my grandfather, he used to hunt for arrowheads. He had countless arrowheads, right? Like I have some in my office that I was able to keep, like, but he, man, he loved, like he found those things, they were, like he loved looking at them and talking about, and he had even written, my grandmother had written, like where he found them, like what creek bed he had found them. So, what's something that you found? What's, maybe what's something you've owned? Like, maybe you purchased it, or maybe something that you received that holds great value to you. There's not many of us in here, so we can, we can interact. So, what, what, what's something you found, own, or receive that holds great value? Wedding band, yeah. You ever, you ever, you ever lose it for a little while, or your kids do something with it? I take mine off all the time, and my kids have, they thought it was a coin one time and put it in my coin jar. They, you know, I couldn't find it. Like, um, so, wedding band, what else? Mama, yeah. yeah. Very valuable and worth it, right? You know, some of you it's like, well, you know, maybe you're like, I'm not going to say it because what's valuable to me may not be valuable and worth it to my spouse, right? Any of you have those things? You're like, this is really valuable to me, right? What else? What's valuable to you? Yeah, okay. So he has a football, right? That's autographed. Like, yeah. I mean, we all have those things, right? That we've purchased or that we've received, been given to us. And man, we value them. I think for me, and I brought them today, I told everyone, man, I'm getting super Baptisty, just really just bringing up props and stuff. Uh, this is normally why I don't do this, you know. I also told, I said, hey, if I start playing the guitar and singing, y'all just need to tell me, Kyle, one, you can't play the guitar, two, you can't sing, so hey, let's be done. All right? But man, I brought two things that I value very highly and that are worth a lot to me. And so what I brought was I brought a set of C.S. Lewis books and uh, a pair of Converse shoes. And I think y'all, maybe, you know, some of you know why I value these, but um, uh, along with that, like you could look at that man, a random person would be like, why in the world would you put value on that stuff? Like whenever I, you know, if, if we were to sit down and talk and you begin to lay down, uh, lay out all the things you value, like, well, why in the world do you value that, right? Like, man, culture t- doesn't tell you to value a wedding band, right? Like, you know, hey, man, if that piano's worth something or that football's worth something, just go ahead and get rid of it. Well, so why would we value those things? Well, I believe that the reason we value them is because of the stories they carry. That's why, I like, in elementary school, like, what's the best day of the year, or what's the best day of the week in elementary school? For me, it was show and tell day. Because I get to come, and I get to show you what I have and what I value. But stories connect us to what we value. You see, these two things carry with them stories that teach me. These things right here produce in me emotive responses, and they are an avenue by which I'm drawn to my need and dependence upon Jesus. And so let me just tell you why really quickly. First, let me just begin with the books that, again, are just... This is just a random... You can buy this for 40 bucks. They actually have a... Uh, the, the set now is a whole lot cooler than these. Like I look at, you know, like we have the other set at the house, but these are in my office. And, and when you look at them, you're like, yeah, what are screw tape letters, mere Christianity, a grief observer? Like what, what does it even matter? Why would you value that? Well, for me, this was the last thing that my mother ever bought me. It's the last thing I ever received from her before she moved to Korea and passed away. And so for me, it holds great value and worth. Now to others, it doesn't. They're just books on a shelf. And then even deeper than that, if you don't know why I value it, it would be really easy for you to just say, hey, like here, you know. So Haley didn't know that, you know. She knew one thing, you don't dog ear the pages, any pages of any book. That's wicked. Uh, and so, but she, she one day was meeting with someone and they were talking about mere Christianity and she just said, Hey, just take this book and read it. So she gave it and she didn't know. She didn't know the kind of value that I'd placed on it. I hadn't told her. I hadn't shared the story with her. It was just on her shelf. And, and so I come home from work that day and I'm walking by and I, I see there's a book missing and I'm like, Hey, Haley, where's that book at? She's like, Oh, I gave it to so and so so they could read it. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I went in the bedroom and I freaked out a little bit and then I came back out and I was like, hey sweetie honey baby, I love you, you did nothing wrong, but we gotta get that book back, okay? Like now. And I was able to share the story of why I value these books. Because man, to me, it creates memories, it creates a story, it creates an emotive response. And then the second one are the shoes. And, man, I, I've told the story about shoe, these shoes. They're in my office behind you know, by, behind the chair I sit in. So every time I walk in, like, you'll see these shoes in a shadow box. But these were my father-in-law Troy's shoes. Uh, whenever we got engaged, Haley started planning the wedding. I said, I don't care what you do. Like, literally, do whatever you want with the wedding. Y'all plan it all out. The only thing I want is I want to wear gray Converse. And I want all my groomsmen to wear black Converse. And Troy heard it and he said, "I want to wear black converse." And Tammy said, "No, no, no, Troy. I have you some new dress shoes that I've already purchased for you. They're in a box, and you'll wear them." So on, at the rehearsal dinner, we gave out gifts. These are the shoes we gave him. Man, he was so excited and joyful and exuberant, and guess what he wore the next day. He wore those shoes. And most days after that, those dress shoes never came out of the box. And so for me, like when I see these shoes, I'm reminded of those stories. But also, I'm reminded, I, I not only have an emotive response to it, and I'm reminded of the call to live a life as a follower of Jesus that does everything as if they were doing it unto the Lord. They're, they're, they're not clean, they're dirty and messy and worn. And that's what I want my life to be like. You see, we all have things like this. Some of you may have stuffed animals, right? Like I had a Snoopy growing up. I still have it. The kids have it in their their little bin. Like Haley had a Moo Moo, which was a cow. And guess what? We both shared stories that we left Snoopy and Moo Moo at various places and parents had to drive back and go get them from said hotels or camps because we value it, right? You see, you know you value something when you're willing to fight for it, even if it means going back for it. Man, what a picture of the Gospel. that that God would value us in such a way to come back for us. See, the point of these two parables today is to draw us to set our lives in such a way that we would see and experience the immense and innumerable value of the kingdom. And really, in doing so, we're going to kind of answer two really closely related questions. Question one is this, why should we give our lives for a kingdom we can't see? Goes back to the story of the leaven, right? Like man, the world around us says, Man, why would you follow, why would you follow this kingdom? You can't see this kingdom. The world around us says, hey, the kingdom is in front of you. Look, buy this, do this, experience this, find pleasure here, right? Like value these things. Because it's here and now. Jesus says, No, my kingdom's not of this world, right? But it also, like what we realize, is like, while it's unseen, it's here. But why? Second question is Can the kingdom truly be the answer to our search for fulfillment? Why would we give it if we can't see it? And, and can it actually be the one answer we need? Can it answer our question in search for ultimate fulfillment? Maybe to, to simplify these into one, I said, Man, is the value of the kingdom worth the, worth the cost of the kingdom? Because the reality is the kingdom costs we're going to see it in the parables today what it costs is the giving of your life not in an ultimate sense because Jesus did that but in a laying down of yourself and the countless things you run to for value, identity and life so that you might receive the one thing that holds true value, gives real identity and rewards through eternal life. For God's kingdom is the only thing that will ever find that you will ever find that's cost is worth That this cost is worth it in light of the reward. So let's look at the first parable, the parable of hidden treasure. I'll just read it again quickly. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, which, man, as I've studied the parables, it's so interesting and revealing that Jesus is more concerned with us understanding the value of the kingdom rather than explaining to us the next set of best practices that we should try if we hope to live differently. And I believe our goal oftentimes is just give me a set of practices, Jesus, but Jesus's goal is experience the value of the kingdom. And what Jesus says is that the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. Again, it's moving back to the descriptors of hidden or unseen that we saw last week with the leaven. It is a treasure that has been strategically hidden due to its value. But going further, what we find in the story is that this hidden treasure was something that was not being looked for, but was found when a man randomly stumbles upon it. So what we see in the story is there's this guy and he's walking through a field that's not his own, which raises so many questions like, why in the world? Like, why is he? He doesn't own that field like that's trespassing. Why are you walking in someone else's field? But he's going along and he trips, stumbles over something hard. Probably didn't feel very good. And so, you know, after likely a few choice words, which were caused by him stumbling, he realizes, he looks and sees that this is the most amazing and valuable treasure that he's ever seen in his life. This is a treasure that he desires to immediately have, for there's nothing like it in the world. What this parable, as we read it, what it teaches us, this parable teaches us five things about grace. The first thing it teaches us is that the man stumbles upon it by accident. You see, in life, when met with God's grace, while very intentional on God's part, is not something we're looking for until it is revealed to us by way of us stumbling upon it. The reason this is true for all who come to know God's grace is because, man, the gospel, the good news of Jesus goes against our very nature because our nature is consumed with the worship of what with the worship of me i apart from grace i'm not looking like i the only thing i'm looking for is what can revolve around my kingdom and my kingdom is a place of cheap grace for myself and a immense wrath for others scripture says that we are enemies who may know of common grace, Romans chapter 1, right? Like the beauty of creation displays the glory of God so that none are without, no, no one's without excuse. But we are, we are enemies of God who know nothing of His sacrificial grace until we're met with it as we stumble along through life. You see, our nature is not to look for it. It is only by the richness of His mercy and grace that we find it. Secondly, upon, upon the realization of the value of the kingdom, what we see is that this, this grace is cause for what? It says it's cause for great joy. You see, God's grace revealed produces joy. Let me say that again. His grace revealed produces joy. Not condemnation. Not do better or be better joy. Joy that comes from the realization that while you are undeserving to receive God's love, He has given it to you as a gift to be treasured and what? And enjoyed. And so do you really believe this today? And if you say you do, is your life marked by joy? I shared this a couple of weeks ago, gave you kind of a challenge. Uh, man, you should ask yourself that very serious question. Should... Should should it be a serious question? <laughs> I think it should. And am I a joyful person? God, am I a joyful person? Like, do my actions exude joy? But if you want to go further, because again, we can really quickly deceive ourselves. Go up to someone else and say, Hey, when you ex- when you're around me, do you experience joy? Do you experience me as a joyful person, or do you experience me as a complainer? A criticizer, a gossiper, uh, you know, uh, man, a Debbie Downer. Like, do you do? Do I exude God's joy? Not my joy, right? Because guess what, that's just masked happiness. But do I exude the joy of the gospel? You see, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. But we need to wrestle. Are we? I believe that we would do well as the church, big C church, but more specific, center church, to become more joyful. Guess what? Like that That's one of those things It's like, hey, what's something I can do? Man, we can always grow in joy, right? In thanksgiving and delighting in God. Point number three about this parable is that the value of this treasure is worth giving up everything for. It says that the man in his what? Says in his joy. Goes and sells all that he has so that he might buy the field. Let me give you for these next two points. I want to give you a gospel picture and then what I believe our response to be. Uh, the gospel picture is this: is that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant to the point of death on the cross. But he didn't do it begrudgingly. Hebrews twelve says that for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He did not despise the shame. Jesus willingly and joy went to the cross and gave up everything so that the value of God's glory would be fully manifest through the expression and mark of grace being given to undeserving sinners so that they might receive, so that we might receive life. So what's our response to be? See, to be a follower of Jesus, we have to realize that He's worth giving up everything for. Because the thing is, that even if you give up everything to receive this treasure, you're not giving up anything at all, ultimately. You're actually receiving that which you've always longed for. Not only that, it should lead us to serve in joy. Just as Jesus did. This third point ties into the fourth, which is that the value of kingdom, the value of kingdom is not only worth everything you have, it's worth everything that comes along with it. That's usually where we stop, right? Well, I'll have the kingdom, but I only want good things to happen, right? No, he says, no, the value of the, it, it's, it's valuable to give up everything for, but it's also value, so valuable that it's worth everything that comes along with it. You see, what it says is the man, upon realizing the value of the treasure, it says he didn't just seek to buy the treasure, he bought the whole field. Not caring what the field brought with it. I don't know if you've ever owned land or worked on land, but guess what, land is filled with rocks and sticks and briars and thorns and you've got to manage it and take care of it. But to the man, the treasure was worth everything that the field brought with it. So let's see the gospel picture in our response. This is the gospel picture. Jesus in His love for us purchased our freedom because we are treasured by God. And He did it while also knowing everything that comes along with it. Jesus in His love still went to the cross while knowing that we would continue to struggle to believe. He is the better treasure. While we would still need to have rocks logs and weeds removed. While we would need the soil of our hearts to be nourished and changed so that we might bear good fruit, and yet it still brought Him joy to give Himself up for us. The whole thing. He didn't just say, well, I died for you, then clean yourself up. Or clean yourself up, and then you can say, I died for you. So our response should be this. We should first begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Knowing that while we are in process, His work in us is greater than our current struggles and circumstance. For following Jesus, He even says that in this world you'll have trouble. It brings with it loss, hardship, even persecution. But secondly, from this, man, that we would begin to grow in grace for where others are either, or for where others are, either in empathy for the lost sinner who still needs God's grace or the redeemed sinner who is still in need. We are the redeemed sinners still in need of God's grace. You see, what we want is no mess. I don't want any messiness in myself. I don't want anyone to see the messiness of myself and so I'm either going to cover it up or act like it's not there. But I sure don't want anybody else's mess. That's what we want. We look at others and say, how dare you infringe on me with your messiness. But if you read the Bible, this is part of it. And praise God because I'm a messy one and you're a messy one. Because if we live life that way, we exclude ourselves. We are called to walk with others through messiness instead of being surprised and offended by it. And then lastly, we learn something about hiding God's grace, which is a really odd part in the story, right? It says this man finds this treasure and then he hides it and goes away, right? Like, well, why? That seems a little sketchy. Well also why didn't he disclose that there was treasure in the land before he bought it, right? That that also seemed like I don't know that he's really doing the right thing. But in this instead of getting stuck on it, remember it's an allegory, not this is a parable, not an allegory, so not everything has meaning only what Jesus is making it to mean. What Jesus is not saying in this parable is that we should hide our faith. That we should hide the kingdom from others. What he's trying to say ties into the treasure's worth in that you'll give everything for it. You see, we need to hide the good news inside so that we value nothing else. But we are also to know that as believers, our job is not to hide and hoard the kingdom, but to display and share the good news of the kingdom to others. And so this reality leads us into the second parable, which involves a pearl of great value. It says this in 45 and 46, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Alright, so this parable, while in some ways similar to the previous one, is different in one major way. You see, while the parable of the treasurer, the man stumbles upon something he was not in search of, here we have a professional pearl trader who is in search of the finest of pearls. And what we need to take note is that this searching aligns with the searching that is found in the hearts of us all. You see, we are all searching or seeking to worship or to give great value to something all the time. And so today, what are you seeking to place worship or value on? We are all, even the man in the parable that we just looked at, we are all on a quest of ultimate fulfillment. Stuart Weber says to this point that every human being is on a quest Every choice that a person makes is somehow guided by his or her search for fulfillment. And before God breaks in, we simply do not know what we're searching for. This creates both a common reality and a common problem for all of us. The common reality is that we are all in search of some kind of pearl of great value. In Jesus' context, pearls were, were of the highest value. The reason being is because, man, to get to a pearl, what do you have to do? You gotta dive down into the water, right? And at that point in time, technology is not as advanced. Like for us, like, like, I think they even have places where they just grow pearls, you know? Like they just, like, you know, but like for, for them, like, man, it took time, it was dangerous, and so pearls, man, they carried a lot of value. And so only the wealthiest people had them. It's said that a majority of Cleopatra's worth was contained in two pearls. And if you took those two pearls and you did inflation to today's prices, it would be over $4 billion is what those two pearls were worth. And so we see that reality that we're all after some kind of pearl of great value. We're searching for it. We'll give things for it. But it also creates a problem, and the problem is this, in our search for value and fulfillment, most people are searching in the wrong places. Maybe some of you today are searching for it in wealth. Man, as long as my bank account is at a certain number, I'm good. That's where I put my value. That's where I put my time. Some of you, it's pleasure, right? Like addiction, things like that. Like I'm running after those things because, man, it sues, Man, I don't, you know, I need fulfillment. I need, you know, something to help with this brokenness of my story. So I'm going to run to those things. And I'm going to value those things because they give me worth for a moment. For some, it's power and the ruling over others. You know, for some, it's your image, Right. I want to look a certain way and act a certain way and have people perceive me to be a certain way so that I can feel good. I can feel like I have identity and value. For others, it's possessions, the house, the car, the clothes, right? And It doesn't even have to be nice clothes. Like I know for me, like it was just the style of clothes that I wore growing up, right? So it looked a lot of different embarrassing ways, you know? Like, I went through a lot of different weird phases, but for me, it was like, I don't care how much it costs, I want to look that way. Because when people see me, I want them to engage me for what I'm wearing, not who I am. And then lastly, maybe your search for value is through others, right? Like, maybe you struggle with just codependency. Maybe you're not a good friend because, man, I just have to suck everything from everyone else so that I can feel... The value I need to feel. But it never satisfies. And man, what it does, the only thing it will do is it will crush you and it will crush others along the way. And so in light of that, let's continue this parable. So this man, he's been searching for the finest of pearls. And it says that he finds one of great value. But really, just great value doesn't go far enough. Like, Great value is, I think, the the off-brand at Walmart. Maybe, like, you know, so for us, it's like, oh, I like, guess it's the cheap, you know. <laughs> it's what I grew up with, like, it's the good stuff. Uh, you know, and so we, we can associate, like, well, we can read those words and just kind of brush over it, but it's, it, it, I don't think the English does it good enough. Uh, in the message Bible, it says flawless. Really, what he's saying, it, it, there's no number that you could put on how valuable this pearl is. It's priceless. But also in the story, aside from the the the, the innumerable uh, value of the pearl, I want to note something else. That the story doesn't say that this guy dove down and found this pearl. It says that he was met with it. This pearl caught his eye. You see, this pearl was likely owned by another, which again is a picture of salvation, because the gospel of redemption is not something that you can just search and find on your own. Now you can be searching, but apart from God's grace, you will guess what? You will always make it about you and what you can do to earn it or be good enough for it. All the time. We will always make it about workspace righteousness if it's up to us. Rather, by grace we are met with the gospel for salvation. Jesus, God says he says salvation is mine, says the Lord. But, upon being met with the reality of this flawless pearl of innumerable worth, it says that the man sells everything he has so that he might purchase it, which relates in many ways to the two points that we looked at regarding grace in the previous parable. The kingdom is worth it. You see, I think in hearing these two parables today, I don't... What I don't want us to hear today is that you can go out and buy your salvation like you would go out and buy a gallon of milk. This is not what the parable means, and this is not what God's story teaches. Rather, uh, the point of these kingdom parables is really to point us to three um, responsive conclusions. The first is this, salvation is not work to receive or possess something, but rather receive and in turn give up all due to the good news of what has already been purchased for you. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the pearl that when seen and experienced for all of its costly worth is more than enough to give up all for. It is is far—it is of far greater value than anything else we could ever receive in our searching. Everything else you search for, will leave you unsatisfied and you will have to continue the search. The second uh, responsive conclusion is this. We need a better theology of the value of the kingdom. We just think the kingdom, yeah, it's of great value. We don't go deep enough. What I mean by that is the gospel is the most valuable treasure that there is. Do you believe that today? And if you believe it, do you live like it? And if you say you live like it, do you proclaim to others that it is the most valuable thing? And then lastly, since the kingdom of God is a present reality, the time to respond is not tomorrow or sometime in the future when you get ready to settle down or or when you've gotten your act together. The time to respond to the gospel, because the kingdom is a present reality, is today. J.C. Ryle once said that tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. Satan doesn't care how spiritual your intentions may be or how holy your intentions are to follow Jesus as long as you always act on them tomorrow. You see, we live too much of our lives for tomorrow when God tells us to live for Him today. And this is why we are getting our butts kicked day in and day out. And let's start living for today and stop telling ourselves that we'll do such and such tomorrow. The battle is today. Guess what? The victory's already won. Let us win the day, not in our own strength, but by God's grace. Let us win the day by pursuing Him today and then tomorrow. And so let us stop saying, well, tomorrow's Monday, which it is. So I'll start reading my Bible tomorrow. No, read your Bible today. Like, read it today. Men, we're in Romans chapter 5 today. If you're on group me, I've been sending out. Here's the chapter we're on today. Women, you're somewhere in the New Testament. Read it today. And let's stop saying, well, I'm going to start, yeah, I'm going to start praying tomorrow. No, pray right now. Like today, like if you're hearing this and you don't know Jesus and you're like, man, I haven't given myself. I keep saying, well, when I get to this point or when my life looks this way or I've cleaned myself up this way or, you know, when I understand. No, today say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Cry out for His mercy and grace today. Don't wait for tomorrow. You know, stop saying, well, you know, I want to go to a but I just sleep through my alarm. No, it's just laziness. I'll go next week. No, go Today. Saying, "Well, when life slows down, I'll go to an MC." No, go today. I'm like, I'm not saying this out of frustration, and I want everyone to hear that. But we have something far greater to celebrate than the freedom that's found on the Fourth of July, and it's today. And so I'm not condemning, I'm not saying, I'm just saying the reality of that is, is that we, like, on Black Friday, you'll wake up, right? You'll go get those sales. On the 4th of July, we're going to eat those hot dogs. We're going to shoot those fireworks. I'm going to let my kids stay up late. And it doesn't matter to us because, man, at times, I think maybe we put value on that more than we do about gathering together. No, I do. Let me continue, like, like you know, even things like health, right? Like, I'm like, I can talk about physical health. Like, let's just, like, man, don't say, "Well, I'm gonna do this on this day," you know? No, just like, let's just do it. Like, like I, I haven't been eating gluten. I want to eat some gluten. But like we just had to finally say, no, we're not doing it. And we have reasons why. It's not just because we're like, hey, we want to do this. But I think one that gets looked over even more is emotional health. Man, if you feel really emotionally healthy, quit saying, well, I'll call will I'll I'll call a biblical counselor tomorrow. No, call him today. Like, do it. There's no shame in it. I go to counseling. Like, there's other people here that go to counseling. I'm not gonna point them out. And what they would tell you is, man, it's good. It's hard. But it's good. We don't value stuff like that. And lastly, just one more, because I think, man, Jesus talked about it more than anything else. Our finances, right? Well, I'll start tithing and giving whenever my finances get straight. Whenever, you know, I'll I'll No. Start now. Like, I'm not saying that that's because Dave Ramsey says that, right? Like that's what the Bible says. Because what the Bible is saying is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like what you value is what you're gonna, where you're gonna put your money. Like start there. Following Jesus tomorrow is a weak excuse for your laziness towards following Him today. That may sound blunt, but that's what it is. Following Jesus tomorrow is a weak excuse for your laziness towards following Him today. And so today, what do you value most? What you value most is what you think about the most, what you talk about the most, where your energies of your life run to for identity, fulfillment, and life. Is it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? Today, where is your life hidden? Is it in Christ or in the treasures and trinkets of the world? And what would need to change for your life to begin treasuring and displaying the kingdom? And then lastly, how is God calling you to live for him today instead of pushing it off to tomorrow? That's the reality of where we're at. That's the reality of our daily wrestling. May we see the kingdom for the value it is. May we begin to spend more time understanding the kingdom of God rather than understanding the list of things that we think are going to make us better. Let's just reflect on His kingdom. And I think if you begin to reflect and learn about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God really is, you would live differently. You would live better. I'm not just talking about morality; like your life would be transformed. So I'm going to have the team come back up. And man, we're going to sing uh, a hymn that, man, calls calls us to uh, cry out to God and ask God to be our vision. That we would see as He sees. That we would uh, look towards the kingdom. Man, I want us to wrestle with those things. I want us to be honest and allow the Spirit to shape this time. And so, man, today, continue to, man, ask yourself, ask the Spirit uh, to reveal areas in your life where you're looking to other kingdoms. We're, asking, we're looking and exposing where you're, you're hiding your life and other things. And then, Maybe you need to turn from the pushing off of, of things for tomorrow and say, no, I'm going to do that today. And so if you need to pray, if you need to talk, man, I'll be up here at the front, but we're going to worship and we're going to share in communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus, means, man, if you, I mean, you understand the, the value of the kingdom... Which is an ever-growing understanding. But you understand the weightiness of what he did and the giving of himself. The value that this takes because it gives us life. That you would come and share, we invite you to come and share. But man, if not, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, man, I invite you to come and receive his grace today. If you haven't, then come, come talk to me. Say, hey, I need that. Even if it means that your mess is going to be a little exposed. It's okay. It's not only, it's worth the cost of everything, but it's worth everything that comes with it. So God, we ask that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way. Shape what we value. May we value, may we value nothing above you. Reveal those areas where we run to for hope and security instead of you. I'll transform us from the inside out. Give us eyes to see, ears that hear, and hearts that long to worship you with all that we are. For it is by your grace and grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen.